Welcome to Nerder She Wrote Thursday. I am Jade Hoy, the executive producer of the Back to Back podcast. Be sure to check out the Daily Ding, a overnight recap of the night in the NBA hosted by Zach Harper. Uh, it also features Big Waz, Black Trey, among others, Dave Dufour, the host of this show. Uh, so search for that on all your podcast platforms. Also, uh, we got merch available at cottonbureau.com. Go there, search Count the Dings, get your t-shirts, get your pins for a limited time only. Um, and uh, help the show out. Also, fanduel.com forward slash B2B to be part of our weekly Wednesday challenge. Last night, Rich Guns, he did it. He won, and now he's coming out of the mailbag to gloat for a couple minutes. Maybe five. Um, anyway. Do all that, enjoy the show, and we'll talk to you later. I don't I don't really I'm not big on Halloween in general. That's because you don't have kids yet. Yeah, I'm not planning to have kids. So I wasn't either, Dave. I wasn't yeah. either because I was a hockey player when I was young. And it was always like the night of Halloween that I had practice or game. Yeah, we all had practice. Right. Yeah, and I had so, basketball. Yeah. And so it was just I was resentful of that. And so I developed this uh it didn't, you know. And my wife is the exact opposite. She loves it. In fact, I will say this. Last night was about the fifth Halloween, really, of the last two weeks for us. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, now, it's now a large time period, like Christmas. It's like, it's I, not a day. I miss it. Yeah. I, I, we, we didn't even talk about it in my house. We, we don't get, we have no real, uh, no one really comes by. It's too, it's too much of an investment of walking time yeah. to get to people's driveways in my particular neighborhood. Uh, because we we all have some space, so no one ever comes here. The few kids that live here, there's four in the whole neighborhood. Yeah, they go elsewhere. And my kids, my daughter had to work till nine thirty. My son had weightlifting and um, and conditioning, and he came home at nine and have to study after that. Like it wasn't even mentioned. My wife and I took a walk just to see some other kids. Your neighborhood's down, but I, I miss it terribly. I used to love Halloween with the kids. Fun. I had a beer. I was walking around and a knife yeah, through I, to, and, I had a knife through my head. It was fun. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I've got a ton of uh dog Halloween costumes. Yeah. So it, it was you know, fun. My wife I mean, likes to I was just saying this, Dave. Like I, for someone who is a curmudgeon about it, like last night I thoroughly what I got it last night. That's awesome. I totally That's got cool. it. So if I had kids, I, I I'm sure it'd be fun, but I don't. I, I'm I'm skipping straight to grumpy old man about it. Mm. <laughs> I'll cut that out. Don't there. worry. I'll cut that out. I'll make it sound like you love it. All right. Uh, welcome to the Thursday edition of the Back to Back Podcast. It is Nerder She Wrote. I am Dave DeFore. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe to The Daily Ding, our new short-form daily podcast recapping the previous night's action in the NBA. We've also moved Black Opinions Matter Monday to its own feed, along with Woke Bros, which I believe comes out today. Uh, be sure to subscribe to that on whatever you're using for podcasts. It, it's available. And then finally, check out the new weekly football podcast from Kean Fahey and Zach Harper, The Interceptables. Also, subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast while you're out there. Uh, joining me on the show, as usual, David Thorpe. Coach, I was talking in the Discord chat about you, and we were trying to figure this out. Are you a dog guy or are you a cat guy? Wow. Wow. It's not even close. I've, uh, I grew up with dogs and then I, we always had two or three dogs growing up. And then, uh, when I first started dating my, the woman who I ended up marrying 28 and a half years ago, uh, I traveled every summer and, um, she was going to school about 45 minutes away from where I lived in college. And I lived near where her parents lived. So she would come sometimes stay at my apartment and we got a puppy just to kind of watch out for when I was traveling. So we had a dog for we had him for maybe 10, 11 years before we had my kids, and then we had to put him down. He was old. Mm-hmm. And then we've, we've had a dog since my kids were seven. So this will be the last dog we have, because then we're going to be traveling too much once my kids are gone. But I don't like cats. <laughs> I am all yeah. dog all the way. Yeah, that's me. I mean, I've got two, and my wife informed me that we're getting another one in January. What do you have? What dog do you have? So uh, I had an English bulldog for 11 years. Um, he passed away in May. But uh, I have a, an eight-year-old Frenchie. And then I've got a mutt who, you know, this is going to be the like whitest thing I've ever done in my entire life. I got a DNA test done. 
because he is this really beautiful dog. And, and, you know, we saw his mother and she's like this yellow lab and he's got this crazy brindle thing going on. And so we did a DNA test and he's like part Pyrenees and part oh, German wow. shepherd and all this cool. other. Yeah. He's, he's a really cool dog. Um, but we're getting another Frenchie because you know, they're really cute and small. And so my wife was like, yeah, this is just happening. Um, <laughs> this is now the dog podcast, by the way, um, <laughs> we have dad pod to dog pod. That's right. And, uh, and our very special guest, uh, joining us this week, the man behind the amazing breakaway podcast, which if you haven't listened to is, um, one of the best basketball podcasts out there. Uh, he's also a writer for sports illustrated, Rob Mahoney, Rob, are you a dog guy? I'm a dog guy. I'm here for the dog pod. Let's do it. Let's scrap everything else. <laughs> Hour of dog talk. Let's go. I mean, look, look, my dog, my, uh, my, my new dog, my, my mutt, his name is Pippin. Um, because he's got long arms and he doesn't always come when he's called. There you go. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, all right. So, all right, let's talk some basketball because, uh, this season has just been wildly entertaining so far. Uh, the games are close. The scoring is incredible, partially because of the new freedom of movement uh, rules that are the way they're being applied, but also because three-pointers are up. And Rob, you just wrote about this yesterday. Well, it was published yesterday uh, about guys that have actually replaced twos with threes uh, like Chris Middleton and Kemba Walker um, and how it's, it's improved their game, made them more efficient. Um, there's only 2.4 more attempts compared to last year per game uh, per team, um, which means five more attempts a game. Uh, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it, it's really making a huge difference in the way the game is played. Would you say? Yeah, and I think it is exactly how you described it in terms of some of these guys taking some of the fat out of their games, some of the junk out of their games, those, you know, the contested pull-up twos, kind of the tougher shots. I think Middleton is probably a prime offender of this in years past in terms of, you know, having a pretty good look at a three and dribbling into a more difficult two-point shot. And I think it's finally whether the NBA has just kind of reached a critical mass in terms of the style that teams want to play. Or it's been a couple of years now of coaches really harping on guys and getting those habits changed and, you know, which is really a difficult thing. If you've grown up your whole life thinking that it's a good shot to step in from a three into a two and thinking that that's, you know, your comfort zone, and that's going to be what's available to you. It's going to take some time to get out of that habit. And I think so guys are finally getting there. The league is obviously pushing for more and more threes and on, you know, an individual team basis than ever before with, uh, you know, some teams more extreme in that regard than others. But it's resulting in, in a pretty, a pretty impressive product from a scoring perspective, but also an interesting tactical one that I don't know that we've seen the full pushback from defenses yet uh, in terms of how they're going to deal with this. Uh, so between uh, the last five years, in the last five years, you're seeing 10 more attempts per team per game. And I think that it's, it's easy to look at one year to the next and say, well, it's not really that much more, but 10, I mean, 20 extra threes shot per game in five years is massive. Uh, coach, is this, is this some stuff that you're seeing kind of with the players that you're working with as well? Everyone wants to step out. I mean, it's been that way for a long time. Uh, I, I worked at Rick Pitino camp the second year he was at Kentucky and, uh, uh every single kid was shooting threes at that camp, no matter what their size was. Uh, and that's going back in the nineties, early, maybe 91, um, I think more than anything, we have more coaches embracing it from the bottom, you know, from the lower levels up and, and there's also been more adoption and really kind of absorption from, from the NBA coaches. Uh, so you continue to see Aaron Baines shooting threes now, right? Uh, and well, been, yeah, right. And well, right. Uh, and, uh, Valanchunas, uh, guys that don't look like three point shooters are, are embracing it. And so, the, the really, I mean, this is, we can't spend three hours discussing defense, but we really need to because right now too many teams just are lost. They, they, you know, the, the way we try to talk about defense is always, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta be able to hang your hat on something and no one's willing to do that right now. It's consistently, I shouldn't say no one, almost no one. Uh, even, even last night, if you looked at the Minnesota game, uh, with Utah, I mean, a lot of his, a lot of Derrick Rose's buckets were against Rudy Gobert. You know, you think Utah would be a team that would extend out and force you to finish against their, 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 you know, stud guy inside. 
And Derek Rose, who's never been that great at finish, at least not in the last few years, was really not having much of a problem doing it. And so uh, to me, it was Utah's lack of real commitment to doing one or the other. And that's where I think until that happens, where defense just sell out. So you are not making the three, any of your five positions, and then we'll deal with everything else. We're going to continue to see what we're seeing now. Well, just to put that into perspective, Steph Curry, the greatest shooter we've ever seen, uh, gets off about 50, 54.6% of his shots, uh, considered open by the NBA's tracking data. Um, just to kind of tell you how far behind the defenses are, um, you know, Rob, Switching is is kind of the the in vogue thing for defenses. Do you see kind of a, an avenue where they're going to have to go away from switching in order to contest these threes? I mean, it depends on probably how long Kevin Durant stays with the Warriors. To be honest <laughs> with you, because right. you know it's it's easier said than done when the guy you're switching with is you know a seven foot you know, ball handler who could just as easily post you up or shoot over the top of you. And he's, I mean, he's kind of what breaks that idea because we've seen in the past and, you know, if, if Durant isn't playing or if the Warriors are just kind of have a different lineup out there that if you switch, if you're physical off the ball, at least, you know, in previous years when that was a little more allowed, or maybe later this year, if the points of emphasis with the referees kind of fade a little bit that you can, you know, you can get the Warriors out of their stuff. And if you're a really good switching team, like the Rockets were in the playoffs, you can kind of give them a run for their money in some respects. But I think teams, I mean, you're really going to have to compete with the best offenses in the league right now with the way that with how, how wide open the game is, how smart they are about how they're running their stuff. You're really going to have to have some exceptional defensive talent. And, you know, I was watching the Pelicans play the Warriors last night here in Oakland. And, you know, even, you know, Anthony Davis is a little dinged up, so it's not a great case study. But even a team like that was just getting completely lost, you know, guarding pick and roll, guarding off ball stuff, you know, Curry was just springing open for for wide open threes in just the way you're describing. And some of that is, you know, the talent that the Warriors have. And, you know, you're going to have to kind of cut, make make concessions somewhere. But there's really, I don't think, any excuse for for those kinds of openings. And yet, I don't know what the easy defensive answer is unless you have just a completely loaded defensive team. Well, I mean, since we're talking about the Warriors, uh, so Steph Curry is averaging 6.1 threes a game. If he can keep this pace up, that's going to be 500 for the season, which he's the only guy who's ever hit 300 in a season. He's the only guy who's ever hit 400 in a season. Uh, 500 would be ludicrous. And I don't think he's going to play 82 games. So, I mean, barring games, uh, you know, a bunch of games like his 50 pointer the other night or 54 pointer the other night. Uh, I don't think we're going to see it. But uh, coach, the Warriors look unbeatable. And I know they've already lost a game this season, but uh, it's just not fair. And Clay is back. So, I mean, what, what, what what's the point in watching? What, what are we doing here? Well, you know, anything can happen. Obviously, players. I mean, Clay had been bad, and he had—he's really only had one good game. It just happened to be a phenomenal game, a memorably phenomenal game. He wasn't very good again last night. He was okay. He was really solid, I guess you would say. He didn't shoot well from three, but he was solid overall. Um, I think what we have here is—I've always thought that the the Steph Curry we saw the last two years was Dwayne Wade to uh, Durant's LeBron. That he just said, you know what, I don't have to, I've already got my two MVPs. I don't have to be the best player on this team in terms of branding. Uh, let's just win. I'll, I'll get my share, whatever. And I feel like he's not doing that anymore. Maybe it's, be, there's lots of p- potential reasons why and smarter journalists and better journalists than me should be asking these questions. But maybe the easiest answer is he knows Durant's got this just one last season and Curry's not going anywhere. Maybe it's just the comfort level that they've developed, which I know from talking to players on the team and, and their player development coach is the guy that I actually trained. One of the player development guys I coached when he was uh, just out of college, actually helped him in high school. Um, they have an amazing connection. There's such a, a synergy and such a synchronized set of, of, of plans those guys all have that I just feel like they're so close. And so now we're getting the MVP, Steph Curry. And we know Durant can be what he's been the last two years anytime he wants. And then you throw in Draymond Green, who just said he wants to win Defensive Player of the Year. And then you mix in the occasional Clay Thompson going crazy. And uh, the Godal doesn't have to be any good, which I'm not sure he is. And I think they found some young guys. Uh, I, I thought last year their bench was suspect. Uh, obviously, they almost got beat by Houston. 
I still wasn't convinced their bench was better this year. It seems like they've found a mix, and I like some of their bigs that they have. Uh, but, you know, one tweaked ankle or a couple bad shooting nights. I mean, it's, they're lucky that it's four of seven, not best of, best of five. So the best team almost always wins. But it's too early to say much of anything other than, you know, they have two of the three best players in the league for sure in Durant and Curry. And I, they didn't have that the last two years and won a championship. But this Curry and that Durant are, are, are maybe even top two because LeBron's not so great right now, right? Well, and Le- LeBron only plays one side of the ball. Um, yeah, so Curry hunting his shots, especially those deep threes, the way he did you know, in that, in that amazing 15, 16 yeah. season. I think that's one of the bigger differences for them. I mean, he opens up so much. And now you're going to see the defenses. I mean, we saw it with Miritich uh, last night um, on one of those deep Curry threes where Miritich was guarding him and actually then you know, thought he was handing him off to, I believe it was Tim Frazier and he, and Curry just says, Nope. And takes the shot. And that's the kind of confidence. I don't think we've seen. He also looks really healthy, which I, I think is a, another thing and stronger. Um, you're out there in Oakland, Rob. I mean, is this, uh, you feel like this is something that he's going to keep going or, or do you see them dialing him back kind of mid season just to get him ready for the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors themselves from a coaching and front office perspective would love for him to chill a little bit um, <laughs> j- just for, you know, from that sustainability standpoint, because he's been unbelievable. As you're saying, hunting the shots, I think his true shooting was you know already above 70 percent, which is just ridiculous, even by his standards. And the fact that, you know, going back to Durant for a second, too, I think the interplay with those two guys is so interesting because. Durant, you know, not that he wasn't fully committed and engaged in the Warriors and their offense before, but he's kind of tapping into, I think, kind of the deeper levels of it now where when he gets the ball in the post, he doesn't have to take the turnaround jumper, even though it's there. He doesn't have to face up his guy, even though he could. He's waiting for stuff to develop. He's looking for Steph coming off screens. He's, you know, there's a lot more direct intersection between those two guys skill sets and that stuff was in the playbook before i don't think it's a radical diversion from what they were doing but it's just the difference of having guys who are a little more comfortable with each other and you know from durant's perspective knowing how to pick his spots even better with this team than he did before and so the the curry of it all in terms of you know what durant's future with this team is going to be is really interesting in terms of if you're if you're kd do you want you know, the team around you to cater to you a little more. Do you want to see Steph be Steph at the, you know, the full height of his powers? I'm not sure what exactly Kevin is looking for. If any of those things even matter, maybe he's going to resign anyway. Maybe he, you know, he's going to have one foot out the door anyway. I'm not really sure how that, you know, susses out in his brain, but from a basketball perspective, I think we're finally seeing those two guys really play off each other in a meaningful way where, you know, they've always, the Warriors had always been a little reluctant to just do, Curry Durant pick and roll. And I think those two guys weren't totally comfortable doing that all the time anyway. And so now we're seeing some, some more creative solutions to the fact that these two guys are basically in their own right, kind of unguardable. Uh, you know, it's never too early to talk free agency. And I think, you know, Kevin Durant, especially, you know, with the Knicks being so kind of fun, um, a lot of people talking about the Kevin Durant to the, to the Knicks stuff. Uh, another guy who's going to be a free agent this summer, Jimmy Butler, uh, there are conflicting reports coming out and it depends on who you're listening to, uh, as to which story you believe, but he was, uh, rested last night. And then Shams comes out with a report that says this is actually phase one of a six week plan to get him traded from the Minnesota Timberwolves. And six weeks from now is December 15th, which means guys that signed this previous summer are eligible to be traded. Uh, coach, um, how do you feel about this plan? Do you think he should have just sat out from the jump just to avoid injury? And, and then if you're the Timberwolves, you know, isn't this a little bit better if you're trying to like preserve the asset? First of all, is Minnesota the kind of franchise that, that seems that organized? Yeah, I've never, I've never thought that. Uh, I don't really know what the truth is. Uh, Jimmy wants to get paid, so he's going to play. Um, and, uh, he's a competitive guy. I understand why he would want to play some. I understand why Minnesota's doing their thing too. Although I do think anytime you hear about a leaked trade rumors from Minnesota trying to, you know, anti raise the ante from other teams. Um, you know, my first question is if Derek Rose can do what he did last night, which is basically just, he made a bunch of mid range shots, 
which he's not going to make nearly that many, 19 of 31, I think, from the field he was last night. Um, but if he can do that, if he can be solid, you know, most games and, and maybe a little better than solid a few other times, adding Jimmy and Andrew and, and you know, getting Carl playing better. I mean, this team should be a top four team in the West like they would have been last year had Jimmy not gotten hurt. Uh, it's just so sad the way what's happened there. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think Minnesota wants to keep him looking great so that teams continue to, to drool over him. And yet, yeah, every game you sit, you just increase the chances of, of decrease the chances of him getting hurt. And you keep him well rested so he can play better. Ironically, of course, maybe their coach should have thought of that in the last 10 years and between his two teams that, hey, guys actually play better if you give him some rest and keep him in tip-top shape that way and refreshed which he's never really bought into that. So it's all just sad. And, and I, I, when, when he's gone, I mean, they're not, they can't depend on 50 from Derek Rose probably again. Uh, Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns still don't seem to be on the track they once were. Uh, people forget what Wiggins was doing even. I mean, he scored fine last year, but two years ago. Well, two years ago is what his better scoring year. It looked like he had a chance to really jump up, and he just has – he's kind of dropped off, and it's uh, – to me, it's on the franchise and the player, and it's just sad because he should have been a guaranteed all-star for many years. Yeah, uh, Derek Rose, after the 50-point game, is averaging like 18.8 per game. Uh, his shooting is actually not bad. I mean, he's shooting around 44%, yeah. which is which is pretty good for him. Um, Rob, is do you think that Derek is is going to be, this is something he can sustain. Uh, he said that he wants to be six man of the year and, and maybe that's actually a good thing for him because it'll limit the minutes instead of, you know, playing those tib starter minutes. I mean, I think I would start with, can he be a helpful basketball player on a consistent basis, which I think this season has been promising in that regard, certainly relative to last year. He's had a lot of really nice moments, really nice stretches, you know, even 50 point performances aside where, you know, he's taken over the game for a couple minutes here and there where the wolves kind of need that. And so long as, especially, you know, Carl Towns is in whatever funk that he's been in. And I know he played a little better last night, but, you know, being a guy who on a nightly basis, you can't always count on to command the ball in the positions where he should, or to dominate the offense in the way that he probably could whenever he wanted to, uh, having a guy like Rose, isn't such a bad thing. I mean, they're a team that, is so oddly constructed for a variety of reasons. And and as as we've talked about, Jimmy puts them in such a weird spot with, with his whole episode, but having a guy like Rose who will, I mean, whether you want him to or not kind of force the issue in some cases, I think is probably a healthy thing for them. I think it it was a, a signing that when it happened, I wasn't a huge fan of, but as it's kind of gone on, I've seen some of the virtue in, and some of that is a credit to Derek really settling in there well and really finding his game again in some respects, you know, as coach was talking about just being able to, to finish in some cases and then, you know, being hot from mid range kind of is what it is. But I think he's having kind of maybe the most, uh, encouraging season of his post injury career now. And, you know, I, I don't know whether that holds in terms of the exact kind of, you know, statistics of it all, but I think in terms of what his value could be to that team, I, I think the wolves have a lot to like. Uh, so I'm, I was looking around at the, all the box scores from last night and, uh, noticed that Drummond had another 2020 game, which yeah. he just seems to just be able to put up at will. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis had a fantastic game last night, 12, 12, 30 points, nine rebounds, Jokic 22, 12 and nine. Wendell Carter had a coming out party last night, 25 and eight, uh, Rudy Gobert 22 and 13. Um, coach, I, I know that you are, are loving this right now. Are we, are we ready to say that big men are back in the NBA? Yeah, I, they probably have always been there. I, I think coaches have struggled to, to best utilize them. And now we're seeing more and more teams doing a lot of pinch posts or elbow actions because every spot on the floor is then just one pass away. Uh, and it, it gets the big guy the ball. In, in spots on the floor with a one dribble to the rim, there are one backup dribbles for three like Kevin Love used to do years ago for Minnesota. Uh, there's handoff action they can play off from. A lot of teams are – are, uh, are running the handoff action. So maybe a team that's trying to run the handoff, they're trying to run it off. So, so if I throw you the ball and I come follow it, my defender is racing and not letting me get the handoff, which gives me backdoor opportunities. So 
There's there's nice actions they can run, but so they're involved. I, I remember many years ago when Ben Wallace first got to Chicago and was really struggling. Um, I told this story maybe once before here. Um, Lou Aldang, who was a teammate of his then, was unsure, like, why is, they called him Body, like, why is Body so out of it for us when he had been such a dominant player for Detroit? And he was, Lou was really friendly with Rip Hamilton uh, for a lot of different reasons, one of which was his brother, Lou's brother played at Connecticut and, and Rip obviously went to Connecticut and they may have been teammates, I don't remember. But they were friends, really good friends. And I think he called uh, Rip and Chauncey and said, um, what, what, why, is, why is Body so down with us and was so amazing with you guys? And I think Chauncey's the one who said, we always got him the ball the first play of every game. Like every game we started, we get him the ball. We didn't care if he punted it. didn't matter. He was getting a shot. And he just felt good. And, and then you think about Quinn Snyder and what he teaches in Utah, which is everyone gets a touch because he feels like uh, you'll be more engaged defensively if you, if you touch the ball offensively. And so kind of just extrapolate that out. And now we've got coaches realizing my base can shoot threes. The guy, some of the guys you mentioned, like Sabonis, shoots threes, right? Um, Jokic shoots. They can pass. Uh, if I feature them more, maybe they'll rebound better. Maybe they'll defend with more passion, protect the rim, and, and just play better and not just be screeners. And that's what we've, we're seeing now. And so if, if, if the offensive game in the NBA that, that uh, Rob just wrote about with these guys shooting all these threes and, and all the threes were taken out compared to before, if that – started with the Curry evolution, revolution, where he, he showed everyone else that, no, you can make those shots that no one thought you could ever make consistently that with, from 28 feet instead of just 23 feet and off the dribble going left to right or straight downhill full speed, stop and pop the way guys do all the time now. Uh, if, if, that's, if, if we're all now seeing the end result of that revolution, well, what's next in the next five years when – these 17 and 16 year old big men are watching what these big guys are doing uh, in the NBA. You're going to see, I mean, I'm just telling you now, there's going to be a seven footer who plays like Steph Curry. It's going to happen. A guy that just has that kind of range and that kind of skill set to be able to shoot the ball. Uh, it's handling is different uh, because you're, you're, you're high waisted when you're seven feet tall. So you can't just do physically some of the things that Curry can do with the ball as a dribbler, but as a shooter, you're going to be able to. So think Durant 2.0 in a sense, guys that just have no range and, and no conscious in a sense, no matter what direction they're going, they can let it fly. Uh, and then watch what happens to defense because they're not going to know what to do. Yeah, uh, I already love the big stepping out. And I still believe that inside out basketball works. I mean, we, we see that with the Warriors where they use the split cut really well. They uh, run a lot of stuff off the mid block. And I think that that gets lost because of how many threes they do shoot and how well they shoot them. Like, let's be honest, um, Rob, I, we live in a world where everyone uh, creates this death lineup. That's a small ball lineup. How long until we see these ultra big lineups where it's like, you know, you're going to be playing uh, two traditional bigs and the biggest guy that you can have uh, that can uh, adequately guard the wing. Uh, at the three and, and just try to like out muscle guys, kind of like what the Spurs tried to do the last couple of years. Well, I think it's going to require just a different kind of skill set, And so it may be a little bit of a generational turn, you know, similar to, you know, what we've seen going from Steph Curry to Trey Young or, or even Steph to Damian Lillard in just in terms of just kind of influence and the way that the game is being taught, what bigs are being encouraged to do. And, you know, as bigs are getting more and more comfortable defending the perimeter, I think that's going to be more and more viable. And especially, you know, offensive rebounding is always such a kind of a funky trend in the NBA in terms of which teams are going towards it and away from it, which teams are really prioritizing transition defense. And if you can kind of unlock the puzzle of being able to offensive rebound really well while also still being able to, you know, stay versatile enough to defend on the perimeter to guard the three-point line the way that you now need to. I mean, that that's that could be the whole game right there. That could be the whole the whole key to kind of solving the modern game if you can tap into both of those things at once. And it's a very tricky balance to maintain. But I think it's one that is going to be pretty viable, as Coach said, as these bigs are coming up and are, are going to be, you know, better shooters and more skilled in all of these modern ways. And I think we've seen kind of some of the precursors to this with guys like AD, who, you know, 
the Pelicans will run Davis off of, you know, a curl like he's Rip Hamilton sometimes. Like they you can deploy him in that way. And so as bigs are kind of getting the equivalent skill set on the defensive side of the ball and coming up through the ranks and coming through college and into the league or or are young guys in the league now who are kind of developing their game still. I think that the NBA will probably reach that point. But I mean, all I can think about when we talk about all these bigs and kind of what they're allowed to do in the game now is all of the years that big guys have been telling their coaches they wanted to shoot threes and wanted to bring the ball up court and were shut down and told that that's not what we do here. That's not what this offense is. And apparently the big men were right all along. (laughs) <laughs> Imagine that. Um, I'm glad you brought up AD because uh, the the Pelicans started out just incredibly well. I mean, they won their first four. They were scoring like 140 a game. And, and then AD gets his first little uh, injury of the season with the elbow thing. Missed a couple games. Uh, he looks a little rough last night. Looked a little, you know, out of things. Six of 16 from the floor. Uh, Coach, the Pelicans clearly have some depth issues. I mean, it just, it is very apparent. Their high end talent is great. Drew is awesome. And obviously AD is probably one of the best five or six players in the game. Um, what's wrong with the Pelicans outside of depth? I mean, what, what are you seeing when you're watching them? I think they just have the worst collection of, you know, wing players in the league in terms of athleticism and shot making and, and energy intensity, uh, you know, they, they got to play Drew at two, and I, I'm a big fan of Drew. I think Etwan Moore has worked out as for the role that they need him to play as a just kind of make some shots and know how to play basketball. Uh, Solomon Hill is he, he's he's making one basket a game. Um, Terry, I mean, one basket a game, and and I think like 20 minutes, 19 minutes a game. That's when you're playing next to those guys. I'm sorry, that's that's a non NBA player. Like, like he, he wouldn't be able to play in France, uh, with his lack of offensive ability. Uh, they need Americans to score and he can't score. Uh, I'd, I'd like Darius Miller in, in a very tight role. Uh, Ian Clark, I've never been all that high on in the first place. Uh, these are, these are guys they're counting on. And then, and, and just be honest, I'm friendly with some of those guys there in the, in the front office and I've been texting with them. So nothing I'm saying now, I haven't told them directly. Um, West West Johnson, really? Uh, you guys want to play the fastest pace in the league? And that guy wore on a jog when he was at Syracuse. I mean, J.R. Smith's available. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that's an answer. <laughs> that's that's going to make Anthony feel good. It's it's to me, I mean, you know, the Davis Stern comment notwithstanding, we don't need Davis Stern to tell us that there's real question marks about who's, who's running that. And, and the answer... Uh, well, yeah, we were winning. Well, yeah, you got Anthony Davis, but you, you can't build a contender when you cannot win a game when you're, con- when your best player has to sit and, or like last night, of course, you know, they played a good team. Uh, you know, he was off cause he had missed the game. He seemed out of it a little bit. I heard some conditioning might've been a factor. He's not gonna play 81 games anyway, or 80 games. Uh, they, they've just got, I mean, to me, they're a mess. Um, with, with that, that, those perimeter guys. And, uh, I don't know where the answer comes from because I don't trust that they feel like there's anything wrong and, uh, we'll see. They, now they got to go to Portland and they could, they could be four straight losses and very easily the way Portland's playing. And, uh, it's a shame because we're, we're missing out on, you know, Anthony Davis is such a treasure may very well may be along with Curry and, and KD, the, the best three players in the league. And he's still kind of stuck with mediocrity at best around him. Yeah. Uh, another team that's kind of suffering a similar problem on the wing. And, and this is not quite their own doing, but uh, you know, it's, it is how it is. They didn't, uh, they didn't do a good job of filling the holes that were lost by losing Ariza and Bahamute. Um, the Rockets are currently 25th in offense and 24th in defense. I mean, they just, they really look bad. Um, part of this is, is Chris Paul missing games and then James Harden with the hamstring injury. Uh, Rob, what is, what are they going to do the fix to fix this? I mean, like we all uh, saw that they offered four first round picks for Jimmy Butler reportedly. Uh, is Jimmy Butler a guy that can come in and solve their issues or are they are, or their issues much bigger. 
I mean, I think they're bigger. I mean, Jimmy would obviously be great for them. I think he would fit into what they do really well. He would ease the load on guys like James and Chris in a way that I think would be pretty healthy for their offense. And then defensively, a guy with his size and his length, who's also as strong as he is, I think could be really helpful. But I mean, when I think of the Rockets, I think of kind of the inverse of what coach was talking about earlier in terms of these teams who are getting their bigs involved, who are letting guys touch the ball, you know, really moving things around. And the Rockets, especially the role players, were really upfront last season about the fact that, look, sometimes it's hard to get up and play this way. It's hard to go from zero to 100, to go from standing in the quarter, waiting for that pass out of isolation to full speed sprint back down court into a full switching defense. That's going to ask a lot of you. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a really difficult way to play. If you aren't the guy holding the ball, making all the decisions, taking all the shots and, you know, getting, getting Harden back healthy will be big. Getting James Ennis back healthy will be big considering all that they gave up in terms of the wings that you were talking about, Dave. So just getting everybody back in the lineup, I think is a good start. But I think it's the offensive issues that are that are so perplexing. And to me, it's just they look like a completely different team. Just the energy is gone. The zip that that they had last year is totally gone. And by the numbers, Harden and Chris Paul, you know, when they've been in the lineup, have still been great isolation scorers. It's just they don't have any of that other stuff. It's just Capella isn't playing with quite the same edge. It's, you know, the spot up shooters aren't hitting at quite the same rate. And the defense has just been really kind of a mess. And especially with the way that, you know, if you're working Carmelo Anthony into that mix, the way that teams can just headhunt him relentlessly, if you're going to switch as often as they do, they have some big questions to answer. But I think, you know, history has shown us that if you have James Harden and a reasonably healthy supporting cast, that's still going to be a really good team. The question is whether a really good team gets anywhere close to the Warriors this year. It's almost like they have a championship hangover, but they obviously didn't win the championship. And, and coach, I wonder just from a mental standpoint, do you, do you feel like blowing that, that lead there at the end of that series where you had your arch nemesis, you know, the Warriors, the big bad in the league, they had them on the ropes and then Chris Paul gets hurt. And they lose in seven. And do, do you feel like maybe there's some mental hangover from that? I, I would know. I, that's too, that's too ambiguous for general term. It's possible that uh, for whatever anguish, depression, laziness, they didn't, the key guys didn't work as hard in the off season. Uh, I saw the roster, you know, in the preseason and wondered where's the energy going to come from? Where's the fight? Uh, um, you, you guys got a year older every year that adds up, you know, the, the veterans aren't going to bring it in October unless it's just so much in their cult of personality. And maybe Ennis makes a difference, although I've never thought he was as energetic as I think what they're what they want. And uh, maybe they expect him to be that uh, they just don't have there's no swagger. There's no fight. Uh, there's just standing around watching Harden or Paul do their thing. Capella has been, in my opinion, a disappointment. I was a huge fan of his. From day one as a rookie, I, I mean, I think even before the season started, I wrote, I tweeted that, that he was going to be still in the draft. I, I, I Maybe I'm way off. I don't remember who was in that draft anymore, but I was a fan. And the other night I just watched him. They just didn't see energy. They, they, they may get it together. The problem is the West is so loaded that these games make such a difference. We talked about this last week. You could easily slip to a 6-7-8 spot, which is just death. Uh, yeah. If you're Houston, you can't you can't last long in that seed, almost for sure, um, barring some kind of major you know February move. Which I'm a I'm a friend of Daryl's and a fan of Daryl Morey, and and I think that uh, I think he'll work things out. He always seems to, but this is a this is as big a hole as, as it has been in uh, in a long time, long before Harden got there, uh, where they just don't have when they when they were bad last time. Harden was out of shape. He had not worked hard in the summer. They fired McHale. That was a disastrous time. But Harden turned it around. Well, this is Harden's not the issue now. When he's back playing, he'll be good. They they're just missing some pieces where there's too many teams playing hard and, and really competing for, to to feel like you can beat them just because your Houston doesn't work. You gotta you have to actually play him on the court. Yeah, the biggest surprise to me has just been that their offense has struggled so so badly. I mean, I, I figured their defense would slip because of losing a reason in Bahamute, but the offensive part has just been, I mean, just brutal. They, they only scored 85 points at home the other night, and that's the lowest home total for the Rockets since Mike D'Antoni took over. Uh, that, that part of it is, is really, really weird. Um, so the Rockets are currently one and five as we're recording this. 
the, it gets late early in the West. Um, in the East, the wizards are one in six and they, they are the second worst team in the league. Uh, if you're looking at differential, they're, they're just behind the suns, uh, on that list over negative 10.6 per game, I think is where they're at. Um, so this team probably should have blown up like two years ago. Uh, Rob is Dwight Howard going to solve all their problems when he comes back Friday? <laughs> funny. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have to admit it's probably a bad thing as far as how the start of your season has gone. One in the back of my mind, I've been wondering is Scott Brooks going to last long enough in his job to coach Dwight Howard this season? I'm worried about that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, for a team that is almost dead last on both, both sides of the ball rebounding, I guess he couldn't hurt question mark. <laughs> Yeah, I, I worry about the the personality issue because that's one of their big problems is chemistry. Yeah. You know, those guys clearly don't get along. Uh, we we saw Garrett Temple after the the loss to uh, Memphis the other night, kind of took Wall aside, kind of took Beal aside. They've have they have too much talent to be one and six. I mean, this is clearly there's a locker room issue. I would argue there's a coaching failure here because you know you've got these two great players who seem to not get along at all. Uh, coach, is there any way to fix it with this roster? Or you, you think it's time to start dealing? Well, I mean, if Otto Porter would play better, that would help. Uh, I don't know why he's not playing well. He's, he played really well last year. It, it, I watched him the other night. Maybe it was last night. Whatever, whatever the last game was, they just didn't. Yeah, they, they, do, it, they put together a good fight for a period of time late in the game. And it just requires so much more than that. The, 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 what we're seeing so much of, I think guys is the teams that are not just playing connected, uh, because you're going to be so connected in, you know, October, uh, but with, with real passion and purpose and energy are, are just doing better. And when you don't have that, it's, it really stands out. And the, the pace of the game requires more than ever you just have to fly you've got to play in a sense they're here on fire it's one of the reasons why i'm a little surprised no one's picked up joakim noah i saw joakim this summer he looked fantastic um that guy does play with his hair on fire and 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 shares the ball and all that kind of stuff um i i don't know what you know a team like washington just seems to like they can't wait for the game to be over and maybe that's John Wall. I definitely don't like his body language. He seems fed up. Um, but I don't know enough to know. Bradley Beal looks like he's this perfect guy. I don't know if it's true. I'm just not in. I'm not inside that that organization that way. Um, it's it's running out of steam fast. And and you know when Scott Brooks was in Oklahoma City, I defended him. From the standpoint of I watch them every night, when I watch them, I always watch the post-game conference, and I just always thought he focused on defense, and I thought his team tried to play defense. And, uh, I mean, they were young guys, but they they were willing. And so maybe he doesn't really have that charisma to coach grizzled veterans, in a sense, which Washington's got a bunch of those. And so if that's the case, which you could argue it is because they're just not trying, we're going to see a change in coaches very quickly here. And I don't know that it'll, it'll matter because just because you change coach doesn't mean you suddenly find the right guy and the right voice. And if these guys are all sick of John Wall and you're not going to trade John Wall, that means they know they're gone. So why kill themselves? And it's just a mess. I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to get better probably unless, like I said, Arnold Porter starts playing better. You start winning a couple of games and, and then you can rally troops fast. I've always said that with the NBA is teams can turn around really quickly. You just got to, Something's got to spark it and auto plan better would make a difference. You know, and not just not going to trade John wall. Remember his extension kicks in uh, after this year. So it's going to be hard to trade John wall. He's got the knee issues. He's basically stopped playing defense. And, and, you know, this was something I noticed early last year where his pick and roll defense. I mean, he just dies now. He just kind of gives up and I don't think it's fixable with what they have on the roster. They're going to have to make a move. And Otto Porter to me is a more useful player than John Wall for this team. I, I just think because of Bradley Beal's ability to handle the ball, and you watch when they throw a guy like Sadoransky out there with Beal and, and Porter, the offense just looks a little better. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I'm worried that uh, that they're going to wind up with the wrong guy. And it isn't that I'm not a fan of Wall. I just think that Wall with Beal 
is not going to be workable. Um, if we're if we're saying Otto Porter is their their best trade asset, Rob, how do you how do you like him on the Pelicans? How do you like him on the Rockets? You know, like uh, how do you like him in Minnesota? Uh, maybe even Philly. Is that a guy you could see like teams kind of, you know, pushing their chips out on the table for? I mean, I think he would look fabulous with any of those teams. Just thinking about, you know, all the size they already have on a team like Philly, for example. I don't know that the Pelicans really have the chips to get that done, to make that interesting, make it worth the Wizards time unless Washington just goes into full demolition mode. But I mean, Porter is a guy who has a lot of fans around the league and for good reason. I think I think he's the type of guy who when he's in the situation he's in now where, again, he's not the guy controlling the offense. He's not the guy with the ball in his hands. He can get he can become a little bit of a wallflower. He can be a guy who fades into his role a little bit and who isn't going to kind of push on the edges of that to make an impact, to dominate a game without that. And I think if you have him on a team that already has a pretty healthy ecosystem, that already has a nice balance, that he could be a great piece to kind of throw you over the top or push you into the next tier of contention or kind of wherever you are in your competitive cycle. But I think, you know, the price tag with him is what it is. And that may be kind of a separate question. But as a player, I think he's he would be a tremendous fit for a lot of the teams that we think of as being kind of on the cusp of of taking that next step. I think that the. Talking about auto Porter trade destinations is probably a good place to wrap. Uh, coach, uh, you got any, any final thoughts, things you're going to be watching this week? No, I have to be honest. Uh, after uh, a few more hours afternoon, I'm heading out to uh, the beach near where I live. I've got my 35th high school reunion. Oh, wow. Where I'm organizing. I've organized it with uh, two girls that I literally started going to school with in third grade. That would be 1973. I think I met both of them. And they're, wow. they're still best friends. So that's amazing. Yeah, we're uh, our whole class is super tight. We I think we've got about a hundred people or so coming. Crazy. Uh, the class was huge. We had a, I think over we had a thousand in ninth grade, and then they they built another school nearby and cut our class in half. But um, whenever we do reunions, which we do we do more than you probably should, just because we all love each other. So it's going to be three beautiful days and nights at Clearwater Beach. The weather's supposed to be stunning. Thanks, hot I'm weather. Like, yeah, we're going to have, yeah, uh, it'll be, actually I heard Saturday might be high seventies. So yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not going to be swimming. I'll be hanging out with people. And, um, we always do in the summer because we all swim. We're like, screw it this time. Let's, let's not make it about beach wear and let's just hang out. And we're all 53 now. So just say connect and, and, uh, reminisce and all of that. It's going to be a, a really fun time for my wife and I. So that's, that's my plan. I'm not going to watch any basketball. Probably I'll watch a little bit tonight and then I'll tune in starting Sunday again. Uh, Rob, you got, you got anything you're going to be paying attention to this week? (laughs) No, I I can't, can't beat it. Well, especially, I mean, my first thought is I'm still kind of looking at my head, looking at my TV with my head, uh, tilted sideways, trying to figure out what the hell is going on with the Sacramento Kings or what, you know, (laughs) what has gotten into them lately. So maybe that'll be the next week or so is trying to figure out why that team is playing as well as it is and kind of how that can hold up. Fox is really good. He is very good. So, and Buddy Yield's good too. Yeah, he is. Uh, they're fun, man. That's like one of my favorite things is that when a bad team decides, hey, we can just be fun and that's okay. I, I think that they've got more pieces than anybody really. Well, Willie Collins-Stein is really good too, guys. Yeah, yeah. great screen set. He's a skilled down to Jordan. Yeah. So you're going to be watching the Kings. Uh, I For me – I think I'm going to be watching the Warriors because they, this feels so much like 15, 16, where I don't want to change the channel because something amazing might happen. Yeah. And I loved, I like, I loved that season. I, I watched every single Warriors game that year. I made a point to do it. It was appointment television. They were playing like they, they really wanted to win every single game, which is just so rare for great teams in this era. And they're doing that right now. I, I think it's so much fun. And I, I hope they keep kind of gunning for these records, you know? Uh, well, I want to, I want to just uh, get you up on that real quick. Uh, I, I tweeted this the other day, or maybe, maybe I said it on another pod where we, we saw Curry go nuts. We saw Curry and Durant play well together. We saw Clay go crazy. I feel like it's Durant's turn next. And and so what does that mean? Is, is he going to try to get 17 threes or maybe 65, 70 points? I just, they've got it. Someone's got to be competitive with them for that to happen. He won't play enough minutes, but I just feel like that's the way it's going with them where we've already seen those two, the, the Curry Thompson go crazy. Uh, I think it's time to see what KD can do. And he can't just do 50. Like that's right. not enough. Well, the, I, the only, 
The only issue with that, and, and, and this is one of the things of to in KD's favor, KD isn't the avalanche that Steph Curry is. Like he doesn't have those flurries really. Like he's more like a slow drip that that eventually drowns you. And, and he, Knicks might argue otherwise. Right, well, that's true. Yeah, the, the fourth quarter the other night. But he doesn't normally have those huge outbursts. He's like, I can put up eight a quarter from now until twenty fifty. You know, that's, I think that's, that's what his does. team, I, I think the genuine joy you saw them show when Curry was going off and when Thompson, right. If, if Katie's got, you know, 30 at half and it's competitive game and they kind of break out a little bit, I can see his teammates just feed him and say, go eat, man, go yeah. get it. Let's see, we go get 70. I can just see that happening because I know it's going to come back around to them again, especially right. the, the big, the big guys, you know? So that's why I agree with you. They are, they're a team you don't want to miss. Well, I, you I, was, know, I meant, oh, go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, I will say last week. So I was looking at the Warriors schedule, trying to figure out, you know, which of these games I want to go out to Oakland for. Um, They're playing the Wizards on Wednesday. I was, you know, Washington doesn't really have its act together yet. I don't really have a good feel for all these teams around the league. And so I just kind of want to stay in and watch League Pass, maybe, you know, turn out three or four games in the time that it'll be taking me to watch that one if I were to go out to the game. But lesson learned. I mean, I don't think I don't think you can miss I don't think you can miss these performances if you have a chance to tune in live. If you're just watching on TV and following along on Twitter, like the Warriors feel like an event again. And I think that is a great thing for the season, especially, you know, I think we all feel the sense of inevitability in terms of how good this team is and how tough they're going to be able to be to beat in the playoffs. But if the regular season is going to be this fun all the time, I am 100 percent here for it. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Rob, for joining us. This, this was this was awesome, and uh, I'm really glad you were able to do it. Coach, uh, enjoy your high school reunion. That, yes, that's sir. actually that's a really neat story. I love that. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Not only us, but the Daily Ding, B O M M. Check out the Interceptables. We'll be back next week. <laughs> so funny. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. All right. Take care, boys. Hey, Jay. Hey, how are you?